Good afternoon. I'm going to go ahead and um, read our scripture, one of our scriptures um, for this afternoon, and then pray. Uh, so please continue to eat. If you have a Bible with you on the table, you can go ahead and open to Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, probably a story that you're familiar with, and I'm going to move around a little bit, so I'll do my best to let you know where I'm going if you want to try and keep up, or you can just listen uh, as, we, uh, as we jump around some. Second Samuel chapter 11, I'm going to read um, just verse 2. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and she was very beautiful. Let me pray. Father, we praise this, uh, pray this morning that as we open your word and move to different passages that you'd give us clarity of thought, uh, more than just touching our minds, Lord, that you'd touch our hearts, that you would change our character, change who we are, that you would convict us, you'd uh, bring repentance and faith and forgiveness. Lord, we pray that um, as we have walked in, uh, this afternoon, that we would leave a different people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We've been looking for the last few weeks uh, at a series on faith, and this afternoon we're going to talk briefly about faith in temptation. We all are surrounded by a great deal of temptation. Um, doesn't matter your age. Uh, Satan is an equal opportunity tempter. Uh, he desires to go after us in a variety of different ways. Um, Kind of moving into uh, our idea this morning, I wanted to share, I don't know if you're dog lovers or not, but uh, we have two dogs at home. One is, is named Ranger, and he's a shepherd lab mix, and then we're, um, uh, we are watching over a dog, basically, um, through an adoption organization. Uh, her name's Bridget, and we came home one day last week, and um, they were fighting, and um, Bridget had a great deal of blood on her coat, and on the uh, the fence nearby, and, and Ranger was seemed to be okay. Um, so we had to pull them apart and put them in different places. We were trying to figure out what had happened. We were uh, we were amazed because they were the best of friends um, up to this point, and to think that they had turned on one another and began to fight was was just strange to us. Um, so as the days went on, um, they just continued to snarl at each other, and, and any time they were in the same room, they would, they would almost uh, uh, try and attack each other. Um, so we took uh, both of them to the, to the vet um, to get them checked out. There were some wounds and scarring on both of them. Well, the vet comes back and says that Bridget had a, a large tear on the inside of her mouth that required about six or eight stitches um, that we didn't know of. And um, we were shocked to think that Ranger, our other dog, had done this. Um, it seemed out of character. It, it just didn't seem like him. And the vet assured us that these were, were not dog wounds. These were not uh, wounds caused by another dog. Um, that they said more than likely these were uh, the wounds from a raccoon. Um, that apparently they had in our backyard, a, a raccoon had climbed under the fence. Um, and the two dogs probably uh, in their... Uh, zeal to bark and run had cornered this raccoon, and uh, apparently Bridget was snapping at the raccoon, and the raccoon had swiped at her and just cut her all up. Um, 
but it was it just it was a relief in one sense to know that our dogs were not vicious and uh, and and uh, that we we could eventually put them back together. Um, Dogs have a, a fighting sense. Uh, they have a curiosity and they have a fighting sense. Dogs are not the brightest when it comes to wisdom uh, in when to flee. Um, they will always fight in a sense. Um, and so at a point when they should have fled, uh, they moved in and attacked. Um, and it got me thinking about our texts this morning or this afternoon, a variety of places we're going to look. Uh, it got me thinking about this idea of temptation. Um, when are we to fight? When are we to flee? Scripture says both, that we're to fight against temptation and that we're to flee temptation. Um, and I think that wisdom is knowing uh, which to do when. Um, sometimes we are called to flee. Sometimes there are physical circumstances that we're in, whether it's by choice or whether it is by uh, our circumstances where we are being tempted and we're called to flee, to actively flee in faith, to flee. We see a story here in Second uh, Samuel that is a very well-known story of, of David sinning with Bathsheba. Um, chapter 11 begins in the spring of the year, uh, the time when kings went out to battle. Job sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Amorites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you have taught here on this before, but this, this idea that David as a king was remaining in his palace Uh, The next verse, chapter 2, says it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. The obvious implication is that he was not out at battle. He was not doing his duty. He was not being the king that he should have been. Um, So he put himself in a position to be tempted by not being obedient to his responsibilities as a king. And then he walks out onto the balcony and he sees a woman bathing. Uh, very indiscreetly uh, bathing, and, and he sees her. Um, and the temptation hits. Uh, he has put himself in a position uh, to be tempted by not doing what he was to do as a king, but then he walks out fairly innocently onto this balcony, to, and he sees a woman bathing. Um, and the temptation is right there. The temptation is right there uh, waiting for him. Um, and we see an opportunity is given David to flee, There are times when we are tempted, where we are uh, put in a position where uh, the best thing for us to do is to walk away, to run away, to leave the conversation. But we see here with David that he didn't take that opportunity to flee. Um, More than likely, this had been a growing um, problem for David. Uh, Rarely do any of us uh, walk into a sin of this magnitude without our hearts progressively, daily, bit by bit, being drawn away from the Lord. Um, David uh, probably was not, at this time, walking faithfully with the Lord. Perhaps he had already been struggling with sexual sin, perhaps with uh, multiple wives. Um, But for David to have been close to the Lord, walking moment by moment, and then to walk out onto this balcony, and then to run headlong into such a grievous sin, strikes me as as something that probably wasn't there. He might have been tempted to look upon her, but for him to quickly move towards bringing her into his house, bringing her into his bed, um, and then having a child with her, leading to um, him having uh, Bathsheba's husband killed, strikes me as his heart may have been cold to the Lord for a time. Um, And this is the way it works with us with temptation. Satan knows where your heart is in a sense. He knows by watching, by seeing your life, he knows how to attack you when to attack you, 
Um, and he knew perhaps how to attack David. Perhaps he knew his weaknesses. He, he perhaps knew where David's heart was at that time based on his lifestyle. And so David is given the opportunity to flee, but he doesn't flee. He spirals further and further down towards sin. He calls upon his servant to, to find out who this woman is. And then he calls upon them to bring her to him. And he sleeps with them, with her. And they have a child. And then even then, uh, when that comes out, he has a chance to repent and turn from it. But he goes deeper into it. And he calls for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to come. Um, and a variety of circumstances there. And then he finally sends Uriah to the front lines to be killed to try and cover his sin. And so, and so David is, is, is tempted in that moment on that balcony, and he runs headlong into it. He doesn't flee from it, he runs, he runs towards it. And, and we see in Scripture a, a, a beautiful contrast to this. If you want to turn with me, uh, if you want to see a picture of what it looks like to flee in the midst of temptation, uh, a, a counter to the way David did not flee, uh, look at uh, Genesis 39. Again, a story that you're probably very familiar with, with Joseph. Some similar circumstances here, uh, similar temptations, and we see these two men responding very differently. In faith, uh, Joseph is able to flee. Genesis 39, verse, uh, verse 6, the second part of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eye upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything he has in my charge. He is not uh, greater in the house than I am, nor has he, has he kept back anything from me except you, because you were his wife. How then can I do this wicked thing and sin? against God. And if you're familiar with the story, she grabs hold of Joseph. Again, this is probably not the first time that she had made advances on him. So this would not have been the first time necessarily that Joseph had to fight her off. But finally it came to the point where he stands up and he says, I cannot do this. I cannot go against your husband, my master, but even greater, he gives, he gives the reason, he gives the the means by which we are called to flee from temptation. He says, how could I do this wicked, sinful thing against my God? If David had had that consciousness, that, that, that mindset standing on the balcony, might his circumstance have been, been different? And we see there are times when we are tempted, when we are led to temptation, when we walk into temptation, when we are called to flee to not play with it, to not dabble, we are called to flee. And Joseph fled, literally fled from his temptation. And there may be times in our lives where we need to literally uh, flee. Again, I don't know if you like home improvement shows, um, but DIY or uh, the Home and Garden Network, but I love watching shows where, where they're taking an old structure and repairing it and bringing it up to code and then adding to it. Um, House Crashers or, or different shows like that. Um, but oftentimes when they take an older house and they go in and they gut the insides, they always find problems. Always find problems. And a lot of times those problems stem from either electrical uh, or some kind of uh, insulation problems or water damage. If you've ever had water damage in your house, you know 
that a lot of times it's a surprise. Maybe the water line going to your refrigerator is leaking and it's leaked down the line, down underneath, and, and, and rotted out the, uh, the baseboards. Uh, maybe it's something far worse than that. But a lot of times with water damage, we don't know until it's catastrophic, until the refrigerator falls into the basement. Or someone has to come in when you're painting and you find you know, bubbling paint and you realize there's something going on here. It's that slow trickle, that drip, drip, drip of the water that over weeks and months and sometimes years begins to damage the base plate or uh, the joists or the foundation of your very house. And this is the same idea with sin in our lives. We allow sin and temptation to drip, drip, drip into our lives. Instead of aggressively handling it or aggressively fleeing from it, we allow it to begin to erode the foundation of our lives. And sometimes, as with David, it goes so far that the bottom falls out. And Joseph is given the opportunity to sin greatly with this woman, perhaps in a way that no one would find out. But it wasn't in Joseph's mind, I'm speculating here, but it wasn't in Joseph's mind to say, well, maybe I can dabble in this and and Potiphar will never find out. His first thought was, how could I do this against my God? And so our thought needs to be, when we're faced with temptation, how could I do this against my God? How could I sin in this way? What areas of your life have you become comfortable with your sin? What areas in your life, big or small, have you accommodated sin? Have you allowed the drip, drip, drip of sin to begin to work its way into your life, into your behavior? What are some areas that you need to flee in faith? Perhaps it's what we watch. Maybe it's the constant clicking from show to show in our and our eyes and our minds linger on things that we shouldn't, uh, or movies. Uh, perhaps it's a relationship in the workplace that is not physical, but is certainly on an emotional, inappropriate level. And each day, a word, a smile, a comment takes you one step closer towards something inappropriate. Perhaps there's escape in your life through entertainment or even alcohol. Perhaps there's excessive sleep. And so we allow daily, little bit by little bit by little bit, sin to creep into our lives instead of fleeing from those things, instead of turning the channel and and cutting it off, um, instead of rising from our bed, instead of cutting that relationship off. We allow the, the dripping of sin into our lives as David did. And we don't respond as Joseph did. We don't look at it and say, I cannot do this any longer because I can't do that to my Lord. And so today is the day, today is the day where the Lord may be calling you to to cut that relationship off, to cut that program out of your life, to to put down the, the cup and to flee from these temptations before they begin to erode even more. So there are definitely times where we're called to flee from temptation, but What about those times when you can't flee, when you can't actively get up and leave, when you can't run from something, when it's here and when it's here, when you're being attacked in your soul, when you're being attacked in your mind, when when there's not the freedom to actually physically get up and leave. There are definitely times where we're always called to fight. Times to flee, but certainly times to fight. And one of the best 
pictures of this for us. If you want to turn is Matthew chapter 4, where we have that wonderful and gripping story of Christ being tempted. As he's pursued by Satan, Satan knows where he's going to be and he follows him. Satan follows him into a time of, of, uh, of, of pulling himself away, of fasting, of prayer, a time of intimacy with his father. And so Satan knows his weakness. He knows how physically and emotionally and spiritually weak and raw he's going to be. And he seeks to attack him um, and he pursues him. And so we see in Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Christ is pursued in a time of weakness. He's pursued by Satan. And Satan goes after him in the flesh knowing that, that, that Christ would be uh, deeply weakened by the lack of food, he appeals to his appetite. He appeals to his need for food. And so we see how Satan targets his temptations to our weaknesses, to our condition, and he did this with Christ. He goes on in, in verse 5, "...the devil took him to, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple." He said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so we see, in a sense, uh, Satan uh, appealing to Christ's ego. Uh, are you really the Son of God? Are you really who you say you are? Prove it to me. If you are the Son of God, certainly if you cast yourself down, God would send his angels to sweep in and lift you up. So there's, an, there's a, a vying for position for Satan is going after Christ in, his, in who he is, his very being. Third way that we see Satan beginning to go after him. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I've read a couple of different places, and I think it's a wonderful understanding of this passage that the way that Satan was attacking Christ here is the easy way. He's providing an easy way out for Christ. He's saying, if you will but bow down to me, I will spare you having to go to the cross to gain your kingdom. I will show you the kingdoms of the world. All of this will be yours if you will but bow down to me. And all of these were temptations that had to be real to Christ. Sometimes I think we read this and we think, oh, well, he's the son of God. He wouldn't really be tempted. But these were temptations. He was physically starving, and so the bread would have been appealing. He was um, certainly being challenged on his character and his personhood as the Son of God, and so it would have been a temptation uh, to respond to Satan. And certainly, um, knowing what was to come, bearing the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders, knowing that pain and torment was to come, Christ would have been tempted to 
possibly think about that. And so Satan is, is pursuing Christ in all these different facets. And I wonder with us how often we're attacked and tempted in the same way. Certainly with the flesh, the fleshly desires, the needs of the flesh, we're tempted to uh, pursue those whether it's physical or sexual pleasure, whether it's the pleasure of the appetite, the pleasure of drink. Uh, We're tempted at times to doubt God's goodness. Will he truly provide for my daily bread? And so Satan goes after us each day to try and tempt us and to draw us away. And certainly he goes after our egos, our need for approval from man. He's able to go after us like he did with Christ. He's able to, to say, do people really like you? Do they just put up with you? Does your spouse really love you? Do you need to do this because if you don't, these people will think badly of you? And so your schedule is driven by a constant desire to please man. We refuse at times to stand up for the truth. Uh, Perhaps out of ego or fear, we refuse to confront a brother or sister over sin because we don't want to lose that friendship. And so we, too, are attacked in the flesh and in the ego, and we certainly are attacked through the easy way. We don't want to suffer. We want comfort. And so we insulate our lives with things so that we never have to go without. Perhaps we don't like to serve. We like to be served. Uh, Perhaps there is a temptation at work to lie just enough to further our career. And so it's the easy way out. To lie moves us forward. To tell the truth might cost us. To to serve is difficult. It's costly. Comfort is far more appealing than suffering. And so we too can be easily attacked to take the easy way out. To avoid suffering. to, To avoid serving. To avoid confrontation. To avoid the truth. And so we see that not only is Christ attacked in this way, but we too are tempted in these same ways. And yet we also see Christ battling how he fights. He fought by believing and by knowing, knowing who he was, his father's beloved. And he believed his father's truths. He didn't believe that a few crumbs of bread would, could compete with knowing his father. That to, to take... Satan's way out and to change that rock into a loaf of bread uh, would have meant walking towards Satan and away from his father. And he, didn't, he never believed that the, the morsels that might come from that piece of bread, that momentary satisfaction of appetite, could compete in any way with knowing his father more deeply because that's why he was there, to fellowship with his father. If only David had known that. That to know the Father, to to walk with the Father intimately, to turn from sin is far more pleasurable than a few moments with Bathsheba. And so Christ knew that intimacy with his Father was far greater. It reminds me of the story of Jacob and Esau, of one trading his birthright for the momentary pleasure of a pot of stew Christ fought by believing and knowing that fellowship with his Father was better. Christ, in his second way he was tempted, secondly, was confident in who he was. He didn't have to prove to Satan who he was. He knew who he was. He was and is the Son of God, and he rested in that. 
He rested in that. Are you resting today in who you are? Or more importantly, whose you are this day? Or do you find the constant need to prove yourself to everyone in every circumstance? Christ knew who he was, and he rested, and he didn't have to follow after Satan's way. Lastly, Christ, in obedience, didn't take the easy way out, and thank God that he didn't. Christ knew that the easy way of having that kingdom given to him by Satan instead of going to the cross, he knew that the easy way wouldn't accomplish the task that his father had given him, the saving of the souls of his bride. And Christ knew that the hard way was better. He knew that to be obedient to his father was far better. And he didn't take the easy way out. Do we do this? Do we take the easy way out? Do we believe at times that the easy way of sin to us is more pleasing than following after God, following after the Lord in obedience? And I think often we do. We don't fight against temptation because we want it to be easy. We don't flee from temptation because we want the pleasure that comes with sin. So how did Christ fight in the last few minutes? How did Christ fight He fought with Scripture. He fought with Scripture. He fought with the armor of God. Ephesians 6. If you want to turn there, lastly, he put on the armor of God, his own armor, in essence. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then it goes on from there and lists the different uh, pieces of armor, ones that Christ himself took up even in those moments. Put on the armor of God. Put on the belt of truth. Christ used truth, God's truth, God's word, to battle against the lies of Satan, to, to strip them away. Verse 14, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And for us, daily to take up the breastplate of righteousness means that we are are covered and know that we're covered by the blood of Christ, that his blood covers us, that we don't have to run to the world or run to Satan. We don't have to give in to those temptations because we are covered and we are complete and we have right standing with the Father and we don't want to do things that endanger um, that daily walk with him. Verse 15, shod your feet with the gospel of peace. This wonderful idea of of we now have peace with God. We have been reconciled to God. And we don't want to do anything that momentarily takes away that reconciliation. We can never fully take it away in Christ. But each time we sin, each time we walk towards temptation, we're not reconciled in that moment with God. We've turned our back on him and are pursuing other pleasures But reconciliation is that firm footing that we have, that knowing that wherever we go, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, we have a firm foundation to walk on because we are right with God. I wonder if some of us here are given to the temptation of fear. Fear grips our hearts in a lot of different ways. It grips grips us at different times during the day. If you're like me, one of the times when fear attacks me the most, when Satan knows When I'm weakest, it's not when I'm fasting for 40 days, because I've never done that. Um, It's when I'm sleeping. It's when 
it's the middle of the night and I've been awakened. And all of a sudden, everything that I have to do during the day coming, everything that I hadn't gotten done the day before, every fear and doubt and worry strikes at that moment. And I've learned in time to take up the armor of God, even in that early morning hour, in some strange ways, I think. I don't know if you use hymns or uh, scripture songs or psalms to fight with, but those are wonderful weapons of warfare to combat against Satan. When I am awakened in the middle of the night, I know I have a split second to take hold of my thoughts before they take hold of me. To, to grab, in essence, uh, the moment uh, before it grabs hold of me and, and the fear and the doubt and the worry begin to sink in, sink in. And I know that if I begin to sing in my head, if I begin to sing hymns and songs, even simple childlike songs like Jesus Loves Me, in that moment, the Spirit sweeps in and calms me and I'm able to fall back to sleep. But if I don't grab that moment, if I don't seize it with the armor of God and I allow my thoughts to run, then they control me and I'm awake for hours, and I'm left in those moments of between slumber and, and waking of, of just fear and doubt and worry. I have to take up the shield of faith and believe God's promises, believe that I belong to him, believe that he is my Lord and Savior. I have to put on the helmet of salvation that comes through Christ. I have to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is what Christ Jesus himself did. He took it up, and he wielded it, and he fought In faith, he fought in those times with Satan. And we too must fight. There are times when we need to flee. There are definitely times when we need to flee from sin and temptation. Turn the TV off. Get up and take a walk. Leave a conversation. Put the glass down. Move away from the table. There are times when we need to physically flee. But in those times when we can't, When the attacks are in our heart and in our mind, the Lord has said, I provided you with what you need, the armor of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Fight against those. In faith, fight against the temptation that comes into our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, are tempted and attacked in many ways. You've called us to faith in Jesus Christ. And you tell us in faith to believe your truths to believe who we are in Christ, to believe in Christ, that his finished work on the cross protects us, keeps us safe. Lord, make us men and women of faith who have learned to fight and to flee temptation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.